Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 142. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. And even Thanksgiving is a time to stay vigilant. Thanksgiving is a time for reflection, for family, and to be thankful. And I just want to thank all of you for supporting this show over the last year and over the last few years. So this Thanksgiving, there's much to be thankful for. And in particular, I am thankful for the courage and leadership of a former regular guest on this show, a returning champion, the great and powerful Rob Sarah. On September 11th of this year, he launched his own podcast with us here at Righteous Media. It's called the Firefighters Podcast with Rob Sarah. It's brave, it's fierce, it's funny, and it gets into firefighting life, stories of heroism, and cooking recipes from his really fantastic sidekick, Frankie, his daughter. We're really proud of this podcast, and if you haven't heard it before, we want to share an episode with you now give you a little taste, give you a special dessert after a hearty season of eating. The firefighters started as a part of Independent Americans. Many of you have supported Rob, and I hope you'll now continue to support him and this new podcast. Check out this special episode of The Firefighters with Rob Sarah. Be sure to subscribe to his show and share it. It'll give you reason to be thankful, not just on Thanksgiving, but every day. As Rob likes to say, stay low. And as I always say, of course, stay vigilant. And happy Thanksgiving. Hey guys, welcome to the very first episode of the Firefighters Podcast. I'm Rob Sarah. I'm a retired New York City firefighter, a 9-11 first responder, an accidental activist, an advocate, a volunteer, a husband, but most importantly, I'm a father. Today's guest is recently retired New York City firefighter Rich Navioski. I'm excited to bring you his mission of positivity. He's a poet, a father, a husband, and a hero. He's a keeper of the light. We'll also hear from our cooking correspondent, my daughter Frankie. Like the firehouse itself, this show is going to be all about family. So we're going to welcome you into ours. Hopefully you'll welcome us into yours. And you'll continue to listen, subscribe, tell your friends, and join us every Friday. During my time as an advocate and an activist, a lot of people have given me their platform to spread my message. So now I want to do my part, you know? I want to give other people an opportunity to spread their message and pay it forward. My good friend Ray used to say, do the right thing even when no one is looking. But you know what? I think it's important to shine a light on those people out there doing the right thing. I think we need to find out who the helpers are. I think those are the people we need to lift up and look up to. We're proud to have a new sponsor for the show, Rocky Boots. Since 1932, Rocky Boots has had a proud legacy building boots for the men and women who serve and protect our country. And in January, Rocky is introducing their fire boots. As with all Rocky Boots, these are high quality, comfortable, and built to last. Plus, these boots are NFPA certified. Located in an American small town, Rocky has volunteer firefighters in their company, and their focus is on footwear that's innovative and durable. 
Rocky is currently looking for firefighters to wear test their boots. If you're interested, reach out through any of Rocky Boots' social media channels, Facebook and Twitter, at Rocky Gear. And be sure to check out the great deals at RockyBoots.com. Rocky Boots, rugged innovation since 1932. So without further ado, I'm happy to bring you all the one and only Rich Navioski. Joining me today is a good friend and colleague, the one Richard Navioski. Rich is a retired FDNY firefighter, recently retired and recently moved across the country, which we'll get to. But yeah, I'm not going to waste any time. I want to introduce everyone to Rich because I'm excited for you to meet him. Rich, welcome. Thank you very much. Not, not too many people get excited to meet me, so I, I appreciate that, you know? Well, it's usually after they meet you that they're not very <laughs> That's excited. That's true. They get excited <laughs> to meet me, and then they, then they wish they hadn't pretty soon after, you know? So uh, Rich and I are a bit of kindred spirits, right? Both English majors. Yeah, yeah. Both stumbled our way into the FDNY. Rich. Both, both hilarious. Both hilarious. Rich is a, a graduate of the University of Delaware. Is that correct? Uh, I, I would say that that's not true. I, oh. I attempted to be a graduate of the University of Delaware, but, uh, you know, the uh, drugs and alcohol kind of uh, short, shortened that for me. So I, I wound up graduating from UMBC, University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Oh, all right. All right. Um, Joe Flacco did not attend that school, though, did he? No, nah, he didn't. He didn't. But, you know, that, that you know, when it comes to Joe Flacco, I am a blue hen all the way, you know. <laughs> so how does one make their way from Maryland to the mean streets of the West Village? Uh, tell us how you got into the FDNY in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I consider myself one of those uh, uh, accidental firemen. You know, a lot of people come to New York and, uh, you know, in the, in the fire department, we, we get called OSWs, out-of-state workers, and, uh, you know, but they've had this plan. They grew up loving the fire, you know, the idea of the fire department. They always wanted to be a fireman. That was that was definitely not me. I had no idea I was going to be a fireman. So I was just working uh, in Baltimore. You know, I, as as you said, I was a English major and took that degree and went straight to working in boatyards and with a carpenter for a few years and things like that. You know, nothing at all to do with uh, English, <laughs> but uh, except that we spoke English. But but then uh, a friend a friend of mine called me up and uh, one day and she was like, hey, Rich, the friend from high school, you know, she's like, hey, Rich, why don't you come up to New York? I got this, uh, you know, this job. I'm working as a production manager on a newspapers. Uh, you know, they put out like weekly newspapers and, you know, we need somebody to help lay out pages. And I got, an, uh, you know, a roommate moved out of my apartment and this and that and the other. And I was like, yeah, why not? I'll, I'll move to New York. That seems like a cool thing to do. You know, I was, you know, again, like I said, I was working in a boatyard. It wasn't like I wanted to make an entire life out of that. So I was like, yeah, I'll go to New York. And that's how I wound up there. And then I was there and I, and I started thinking, man, I, sooner or later, I got to figure out something to do with my life before I turn, you know. I mean, anyway, I was I was pushing my late 20s at that point, you know, so um, Did you still have the mullet? Was the mullet still working or no? No, unfortunately, uh, I was already starting to grow this, you know, Uh, I think. So the mullet was was only going to be a skullet at that point. (laughs) Although I wish I could get it back. Um, Hell yeah, brother. (laughs) (laughs) But so anyways, I wound up, I I I wonder how you become a fireman. I looked into it and and it was like they were given the test. And so, you know, I just figured, oh, okay, that's cool. They give the test every couple months. I'll take it this time, you know, and as as we know, you know, they really don't give the test that frequently (laughs) every four years at best. And, uh, and so, you know, timing is everything. I've, I've got a sort of a, a far scump quality sometimes of getting through, uh, you know, my, my stages of life, you know? Right. Right. So, uh, I'm assuming we took the same test, which was what? 99. Yeah. Yeah. 99. Okay. So you did well, presumably you got to the top of the list, uh, yeah. like I did. 
Um, so you got on in February of 2001, right? Yep. So a few months before me. Yep. Um, so you went, you got on, you went into the Academy and where'd you go right after that? You went on the first rotation? Yeah. So, so just like you, you know, um, you know, we, so, so me and Rob in one other class, there was three classes. We had this thing, they called it the 14 week program. And, uh, you know, so we went to the Academy for 10 weeks and then my class was the only one that did it, uh, the way it was intended because then nine 11 kind of screwed everything up, uh, as far as, you know, the world, but also as far as scheduling of, uh, you know, the right. Academy, you know, so, um, so, you know, I went 10 weeks at the academy, then I went for 14 weeks, so seven weeks in an engine and seven weeks in a truck. And when I did that, I was in Brooklyn, in, uh, in uh, the Avenue U Watchdogs in Gravesend, Brooklyn, which was a great house. I had a really, really know great, that, all right. Yeah, yeah. So I had a really great experience there, a really great um, introduction to the job. The guys there were fantastic. I mean, they were all about teaching and, and, and laughing and having a good time, you know, and, and I had my first fires there and everything. And um. And then I went back to the academy for three weeks, which was weird because they didn't know what to do with us because now we had already been in the field for three months, you know. Right. And then, and then after that, I got assigned to engine two ninety two in uh, in Woodside, which is uh, the engine that shares quarters with Rescue Four. And so that was sort of my, um, I guess, my unintentional uh, road into sock. So that uh, you know, I, I don't. I guess I'm allowed to use names, but uh, uh, Steve Mikowitz, sure. you know, was a uh, was who, as who you know very well, was um was a fireman at that point in Rescue Four. Got promoted, went to Squad 18, and called me up and said, "Hey, Richie, why don't you come over?" And that was that was the road that I took to get to the uh, the West Village. So with, with right. two years on the job, which is you know, and same with you, you know, like all the guys that were coming into SOC at that time. Um, had very little time on the job, you know, in, in current times, you, you don't go to sock with that little bit of time on. Sure. But, um, but in our, you know, in our time and me and Rob's time, you know, it was, uh, you know, it was, um, you know, they just had so many holes to fill between the, you know, tremendous number of guys that died in sock as well as guys that got out through medical reasons and also just through having had too much over the course of the, uh, you know, the period after 9-11 and stuff like that, there was just a, a tremendous number of openings at that time. So lo and behold, me and Rob together wound up saving the world from the West Village out. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you're, as I mentioned earlier, you're recently retired, uh, like me, with 9-11 related illnesses. Yes. Um, we have the 20th anniversary coming up, which I know kicks a lot of stuff up for me. And I'd imagine yeah. uh, you. Um, can you walk us through uh, your 9-11? Were you working that day? Were you off? Uh, uh, how'd you I get was, there? I was off. I was, but I was working, I was, excuse me, I was living in uh, Long Island City where I lived there for a number of years. And my, you know, my firehouse was in Woodside. It was a short drive. So, um, you know, I was, uh, I was laying in bed and reading a book and my dad called me up. He's like, Rich, you, you see the news? And I turned on the TV and, and, you know, it was all unfolding. It had just happened the first plane. So, you know, I, I just jumped in my car immediately and, and uh, drove to the firehouse uh, and then, and then they did a full recall anyways. And they said, everybody, you know, go to your firehouses. And, and, um, so that, that was, uh, so again, I wasn't working, um, on duty, but, uh, but as soon as we got to the firehouse, everybody just started gathering all the tools. Rescue four had gone, gone down there on the, you know, second alarm or the, I think whatever alarm they gave it, as soon as they realized it was an airplane, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and, you know, all, all the guys were, were killed in rescue four and, um, and so we we uh, just gathered all the tools that we could get out of the firehouse, everything that was still there, which of course there were plenty of tools. And uh, somebody uh, kind of flagged a bus, uh, you know, an MTA bus on Queens Boulevard, 
and uh, they, they uh, the bus driver had everybody, all the passengers get off, and we just loaded all the tools onto there, and then everybody that showed up at the firehouse at the firehouse um, got on the bus, and we went down, and so the, so um so then we got to the West Side Highway, where they kind of held us for a little while while they were trying to make sense of what was going on and get, you know, get riding lists together too. So they could keep track of that. Cause they, there were so many rumors as you, as you remember, you know, there were so many rumors about who was alive, who was dead, who was missing sure. who wasn't, everything else, you know, I mean, it, you know, at one point they thought, if I remember right, they thought like 40,000 people had died, you know, or something, yeah. you know, I mean, it was, it was really, you know, there was so much uncertainty going on. Um, so once they got us so together, I, I had my group that I was with, uh, there was, um, one, two, three, four, five of us. I think it was, if I'm remembering right. I, I don't. I, I don't. I don't want to be forgetting anybody because it's an important group, you know. But um, sure. but and then the five of us, we we stripped um hose off of a of a engine that was that was parked there, and just you know folded it up, and we you know we had a length of hose on our shoulder. Each of us, we had you know some hooks and stuff. You know, we just grabbed a couple you know tools, and you know we didn't know what we were going to need. You know, we just went walking in, and it was just you know, and as you as I know you re, you recall as well as I do, you know, it was just like you went from the gorgeous blue sky into, you know, Armageddon, you know, I mean, it was, you know, sure. just like a blizzard, you know, but it was all, you know, of course, ash and smoke and everything else, you know, and, and everything else. Um, yeah. yeah. So after that day, we, I, I, if I remember correctly, they went directly to the AB chart, right? So, yeah. yeah. So yeah. How, how often did you, did you actually go down? Cause I know it was a little uh, weird. So, yeah. So for me, my, my experience was a little bit different, I think, than, um, some some people or a lot of people is because I was assigned to Engine 292. We had something like 12 guys on the roster, which is a really light roster. Yeah. So I, I did get sent down by the job a couple times, you know, in that early time. But but basically what I did was when we were we were on that. It was the ABC chart at first. And um, so every I did my I would do my 24 and then I would get off in the morning and every morning. Rescue four had a vehicle that was at their disposal. At one point it was an ambulance that, you know, and at one point it was just a big van or whatever. And, um, and whoever could get, get on, would get on and they, we would just go down and just on, on our own time, you know, not, not on the job's time. And, um, and, and so that's what I would do. I just made a regular schedule. I just, when I would get off in the morning, I would get on the, the vehicle, whatever we had and, um, go down and I'd spend the day, you know, with different groups. I mean, I wound up most of the time with guys from rescue four in those early days, which, which gave me some, I guess some pretty like interesting, uh, if for lack of a better word, um, you know, access, you know, um, and, um, and, uh, yeah. So in the beginning I was there a lot and then, um, and then they kind of like put a stop to guys going in without having any, uh, you know, without being on duty. Right. And, uh, so at that point, I don't remember when that was in like sometime in November or, or, or December or whenever it was, I really don't re remember. Um, I didn't go for a couple months after that. And then, um, and then in March, uh, they were looking for volunteers like every month they were looking for volunteers for guys to get go off the chart to go work the month at the so at the trade center so for me march i, I wound up going down and being the uh you know you know uh assigned there for the entire month of march so right that's crazy i i remember uh i think that's around that that's when we started having all the the firefighters from other places coming in right in those first couple of months yeah 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 
And I was just about about March also. So, uh, you know, like a, a kind of a, a point about March is, um, you know, at that point it was down to the bedrock, you know, but there was right. uh, like the kind of like the sides were still sloped up with uh, debris, especially if, as I recall, it was like the northwest corner saw a big hill of debris. And then they had previously been using the south east corner as like a ramp for all the construction vehicles right. and, you know the ramp they just was just the debris you know but um and then they built that big steel um you know ramp down you know and then and then at that point we started digging up um that that corner that southeast corner and that and so there was a really a tremendous number of um remains that were found in, in that month because of that you know and um sure yeah. rich wrote uh a very moving piece about his experience at 9-11, which we'll, we'll put up a link to. Um, but if we could just touch on a little bit of it, I know you were involved with finding at least one firefighter. Um, can you just walk us through that and tell us, you know, sure. what that experience um, was like? Yeah. I mean, for sure. That, I mean, there was actually, you know, multiple firefighters that, uh, you know, you know, but the one I think you're probably um, talking about was uh, we, we were there one day. I don't remember um, which month it was, but it was um, it was still they, it went from being called the pile to being called the pit, you know. Yeah. You know uh, and we, it was still like kind of the pile, but it was more almost like level at this point. And um, I guess I mean, maybe it was still kind of the pile. It's hard to remember. But um, but anyways, like we were, we were there uh, in our group, you know, we all had like rakes and things like that to, um, to sift through uh, the debris. And there was, uh, you know, we were working side by side with a, um, a construction, like a grappler, you know, that would go in and it would like pull up a big, uh, you know, scoop of debris and it would kind of lay it out, you know, and then we would go like scraping through that. Then it would get scooped up and put in the back of a truck. And then um, that truck would get taken, that would get dumped and that would get searched again. Then it would get reloaded back onto the truck. Then it would go to the uh, Staten Island landfill and um, and it would get uh, searched again there. And so, so there, it was really like everything was searched multiple times you know right. um so at this point um you know the grappler came up and i just remember one of the guys yelling yell, he's like uh you know he's like pointing he's like stop 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 and we look at or you know whatever he was yelling you know we look and and you see two bunker boots hanging out of the bottom of the grappler so like he had scooped up a, a a fireman you know without realizing and um and it like uh and you, and I and I can clearly remember just it, it was actually you know what now they think about it so it was definitely um early on you know because um I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt myself just to, to <laughs> say this one piece of the story because now it, you know what it's like <laughs> <laughs> um but uh but you know at that point like it was early enough that they hadn't really measured us for masks yet because remember in the beginning you just would grab whatever mask you could and then at a certain point they measured you then you had a card and you're like you're, you're I'm a large or whatever and then right. you know, whatever it was and then they would give you the proper mask and then you would have the proper but um but the mask that I had at that time was um was not uh the right size at all so and I don't know if you could tell I'll turn sideways for you but <laughs> I got a big nose you know so some some people never noticed I never noticed <laughs> but um so I'm wearing this mask and it's like crushing my nose and it's like, and it's killing me the whole, t the whole day as I'm working, you know? And I'm, so anyways, back to, you know, back to the grappler now. So the grappler's got the thing. Now he, this guy, these guys were absolute surgeons, whether they were when they started, uh, I don't know, but just doing all that work at the world trade center, but maybe that was just so much uh, working at it that they just got so good, but whatever the case may be, um, he laid down the, um, the debris 
in such a way, I still have no idea how he did this because he had a, a, a thing full of debris and he laid this fireman out perfectly, like no debris on him whatsoever. You know, debris all like wound up off to the side. And um, and this and the guy was uh, completely intact, you know, except for the fact that the grappler had just, you know, unfortunately ripped his his like guts, his like stomach open or whatever. And he had, now now it's like his innards were were spilling out. It was really horrific you know but um but that was that was again it was like he had been preserved in the in the debris which most people weren't you know and um sure. and then um and so when he, when he when he was laid out you know like with with all um all firemen or i you know i assume like any first responder works that were in uniform if we could find any kind of identification that was like the first thing we did, you know, so we, here we were, we were searching this guy's body and um, couldn't, couldn't find um, any kind of identification. Uh, he had a, um, a chain on his neck with, a, um, it was like a Taurus, you know, but I remember I was looking at it cause I used to wear my um, badge, you know, like a, like a little gold badge, you know, and stuff. And I was like, Oh, maybe his um, badge number will be on there or whatever. We, I still, to this day, I have no idea which uh, firefighter this was, you know, oh, wow. but, um, but so anyways, you know, you know, and, 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 and I was gagging, it, like terrified that I was going to throw up because I, you know, I, the smell was good. Cause I had just these big gaps. Cause I had this tiny little, you know, <laughs> right. you know, mask on this big face of mine or whatever. And, um, you know, and, and, you know, that's, that's basically it. And then we, you know, we, we kind of got him, uh, got him into a, a body bag and sent him to the morgue and, you know, and we moved on, just went continued, you know, the guy gra- grappled another load, we raked through it and just the day went on, you know? Yeah. Speaking of those gaps in your mask, we all know the controversy about the air uh, quality and and being told Mm -hmm. it was safe to breathe and not to breathe. You actually were one of the guys who got sick early on, right? Before we went to Washington, before all these bills got passed. Yeah. uh, You got sick and you were kind of left dangling uh, by the FDNY and and the national program. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that experience. Uh, Okay. Um, So that, and, and, and as you know, like I, I, I hold bitterness about that. You know, I, you know, you know, I, I love the job. I love the fire department. I love the FDNY, but I love the union. I love the membership, but I was mad at everybody. And I still am a little bit because, um, what happened with me was I wound up. So, so I was at Deutsche Bank also. So just real quick, the Deutsche Bank fire for those people that are listening that probably most people know what it is, but maybe they don't. It was, it was a building that was on the fringe of, uh, that was heavily damaged in the, in the world trade center collapse. And at one point they were, um, renovating it. It had like a huge chunk dug out of the middle of it. And they were, at one point they were renovating it and then they stopped and they said, this is, you know, way too contaminated. And then they, then they started doing a, a floor by floor abatement and, um, and, and, um, you know, and then taking it down floor by floor. And then, uh, in 2007, you know, the, um, in the summer of 2007, um, you know, there was a fire there that wound up becoming a, a nightmare of a fire that where Joey, uh, Graffinino and, um, Babadia both died and, you know, and stuff. And, um, and I, and I, you know, squatty team was there. I was one of the people working. We were, we were basically stuck inside the building for a while, an hour and a half or whatever it was while there was, a record number of maydays, like something like 28 maydays given or something like that. Guys were lost all over the place. It's a whole, it's a whole nother story, the Deutsche Bank for people that don't know it. I mean, it's, it's worth reading up on and stuff, but, um, but anyways, after that, um, so I don't know whether it was that or nine 11, but in my mind, it was clearly one of those things that, um, that, you know, uh, you know, microscopic particles of whatever sort 
lodged inside my body. Um, my my uh, my body uh, reacted by um, um, the antibodies started got tricked basically into thinking that my um, platelets were foreign bodies. So um, so now it's fast forward. It was uh, you know months later. Who knows how long this was going on, but months later, I went for my regular annual medical and I had a, like a, almost no play. I was like a hem- hemophiliac. Where I, like I, um, I don't know how I didn't spontaneously start bleeding because mo- people have uh, um, on average 150,000 to 400,000 platelets that however the count works, but that's the number, you know, and, and I and I was down to uh, 19,000 platelets, um, you know, I guess per whatever, you know, um, in my in my blood, you know, which uh, which they discovered at, at my medical, you know, so from that point, they put me on to medical leave, they uh, I had to go once a week to the um, to a hematologist, and they wouldn't make a line of duty because for because it's an extremely rare condition. Um, and it's uh, and it's what they call idiopathic, which means that it's impossible to trace the source. So it's a trigger disease, though. It's not like a, it's a genetic disease or something like that, you know, right. and extremely rare in, in, a, in a, a male of my age at the time, you know, which I was in my, you know, some, somewhere in my 38, 37, whatever I was at the time. And um, so for a year, anyways, I, I spent uh, I spent the year on light duty going, you know, Again, on my own time, on a day off from my light duty schedule, I would go take take the train, pay for train, you know, to go into the city to see my hematologist. I'd have to pay for an extra day of daycare because I had a baby girl at home. Before I knew what it was, I, you know, I'm like seeing my life flash in front of my eyes. I thought I had um, leukemia or something. I didn't know what I didn't know what was going on. You know, they wound up going into my spine and like uh, uh or into my excuse me into my I don't know if it was my spine or my upper hip or whatever it was, but to get to dig marrow out and um to test it, you know, they tested my spleen. They did all kinds of stuff and they determined it's like yeah it's this autoimmune disease that where you're um it's called itp where you're um your you know your antibodies are killing your platelets so um so anyway i i, I rode through it I, I tried to fight it i tried the union i tried you know the union's lawyers i tried you know everything i could um but nobody really wanted to take the case because it, it was an idiopathic disease it's impossible to to prove i used to argue i say well just as you say it's impossible to prove that it was caused by my exposures it's impossible to prove that it wasn't also, you know, so I was really left um, hanging and I didn't know, I thought my career was going to be over. Thankfully, you know, because, you know, this, the doctors were terrific, you know, and through all the treatments that I got. And then ultimately I wound up on um, taking like these four pills every day um, for the side effect that it would boost um, platelet production. So I would like kind of be producing them faster than I could kill them. And then, and then I would get weaned off of it. Then they'd start dropping again. Then they'd go back on the drugs. Then they'd wean me. And, and after like the fourth or fifth time being weaned off of this drug, um, my body just stopped killing the platelets. Thank God, you know, and like, um, and uh, it hasn't come back, you know, I, I, you know, so it's something that has always been in my head. Like I'm always like wondering every time I get a blood test, am I going to have sure. platelets? But, um, but, uh, but, you know, but it never, it never did um, recur again. I knock on wood, you know, but yeah. Um, well, and, and, and you must've had, all those doubts whether or not your career was going to end and oh, without, without, at that point you would have been depressed you know yeah right. and and that wouldn't have been considered a line of duty right so you would have just right. been put on disability and yep and and not only that but i was also i i was not quite a, i didn't have 10 years on the job yet at that right. point and uh, 10 years is like a magic number because after that you you collect a uh, non-service disability pension whereas right. before if I had been put out before 10 years, I just would be, you know, that's it. You, you know, no, you know, right. not, not taking care of it all, you know? So, right. but again, like I, I got lucky, lucky as far as it goes, because it did go away and I did continue and do another, you know, 12 years of my career or whatever, whatever it was, you know? Um, 
you know, and, you know, I, I guess in the end, I kind of look at it as well that ends well. I look at, I look at how, um, how terrible a lot of the um, ailments are that a lot of the guys that we worked with have gone through and even died, you know, and stuff. And I, and I say, well, I can't really complain because I mean, mine, I never even felt sick. I just, I just knew that I was, you know, right. I, mean, I even, I even, if you remember, I even ran the marathon that year, you know? <laughs> yeah. I know. I, I mean, your story was always something that, that caused a fire in my belly. I know that when I was down there, I definitely had your story in mind and, and Howie's, uh, our colleague, Howie, a senior man who had cancer uh, before it was covered, you know, and just to think that all that time you spent going down there on your own time, volunteering, be, after you were told it was safe to go down there, uh, the thank you for your service would be to get a kick out the door. What a slap in the face that would have been. But thankfully, yeah. thankfully you recovered. You know, we don't have too much time left and you have a lot of stories. I mean, your career is bookended by the greatest terrorist attack on our nation and the greatest pandemic our generation has seen. Uh, but in, in the middle there, you've pretty much seen it all. I'd like to touch on something that I know happened uh, because I want people to realize that, that a firefighter is never off duty, right? Uh, yeah. As you demonstrated. I mean, I think half the guys who died on 9-11 were off duty. But tell us about the time you were uh, on your way to work and you witnessed somebody getting run right. over. Yeah, uh, that was yeah, that was pretty terrible. So, so it's uh, you know, when you're when you're at work, you know, in the fire in the, in the firehouse, you're in uniform and everything like that. You're expecting to go to you know who knows what you know, and the nothing nothing shocking. I mean, it is shocking, but it's not shocking because right. you're. You know, you're there knowing, knowing that anything may happen that day, you know. Well, um, after our career, the way our career started, nothing is shocking, right? Yeah, exactly. You know? And um, so I, the one day I was driving into work and I was actually coming in early because I had to go to the Brazilian consulate for some reason, maybe to get a, um, a visa or something to go visit my wife's family. But um, but uh, I, I was coming over the Williamsburg Bridge into Manhattan. And as I got to the bottom and now I get to the, the traffic light there and I was like, I think I was like the third car. I was either the second or the third car, you know, from the traffic light. And, um, and I, you know, I watch a, um, a, a construction truck, you know, turn onto um, Delancey street. And, uh, and I watched this guy, it's a 32 year old, you know, guy, not like a kid, you know, but um, on a skateboard and he, um, he grabbed onto the side of the, um, the truck, you know, and like, uh, they got, what do they call it? Sketching or skeeching, whatever it's called. Yeah. yeah. I should, I should have, I should have looked that up, you know, but I know I would have, I would have looked a lot cooler, you know, you know, whatever. but, uh, but anyways, he, he, um, he grabbed the side of the truck and, and I, and I'm watching, I just, in my head, I'm like, Oh my God, this guy's crazy. You know? And then I watched his, his skateboard kind of do this like wiggle, like it, like he, um, he just caught a bad wheel or like he hit a pebble or whatever happened. But I see him and I'm like, you know, I'm like, you know, my heart's in my chest and sure enough, boom, he, he goes up and he goes down and he goes right under the wheels of this truck, you know? So I didn't see the wheels go over him because of the car in front of me, you know, but I jumped out of my car and I run over to look and, um, and, and I see some people had come off of the, the sidewalk and were next to him. And I thought, it just looked like, oh, okay, I guess he didn't get run over. God, that was a close call. I jumped back in my car, you know, because I'm still in the middle of Delancey Street, you know. Okay. And, um, and I start to drive past and I, and I like look over and I'm like, that guy's not moving. You know, so like I pulled over, I run back. There was a wonderful woman that turns out was a, um, uh, a retired uh, um, 
EMT who was holding neck stabilization on him. And she was, uh, she was like, uh, she was, she turns out, I got to know her a little bit afterwards. She's a very religious woman. And she was, uh, reading, uh, not reading him, but speaking his uh, last rites and stuff. And, um, and, and the guy, you know, he was, his eyes were open, but he was in full shock. He was, you know, foaming at the mouth and everything. And, uh, I, I lifted his shirt to try to, and it was just a, a big growing purple bruise. Like it was just, you know, bleeding out internally. And uh, it was horrible really. Um, but, uh, you know, so, you know, I got, I basically, there, there was a whole, not a whole lot that we could really do, you know? So like, I just, I got on my phone and I know people had called 911. I called our dispatch and I said, listen, you know, we need, we need to get this guy needs a, a rush on the bus. He needs an ambulance immediately. He's got to get to a trauma surgeon if he's got any chance whatsoever, you know? And, and of course, you know, this, he was so, so severely damaged. I mean, he, he didn't, he didn't survive. And, um, and, you know, he left behind like two young children. I actually got to know his, um, his parents and his sister a little bit, like they got in touch with me afterwards and, um, and, you know, they wanted to meet me, which was, which was touching, but heartbreaking, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that, that, that's, yeah, that's that story. It was pretty, pretty awful. Yeah. Um, he had just opened up a, uh, you know, ironically, it just opened up a skateboard shop in, uh, Williamsburg, Brooklyn, you know, but terrible. And then you had to go to work. Right. Yeah, start yeah. your tour yeah and then i'm like in my head i'm like I'm, this isn't supposed to bother me you know so I'm, just, I'm like trying to act all cool like yeah i just saw a guy get run over but in my head i'm just like you know you know i was like i was off that old that whole night you know right uh, speaking of which i know you were on duty when the terrorists drove down the bike path correct yeah yeah can, that, uh, yeah um, can you tell us a little about that i know you yeah. guys pulled up on the scene pretty quickly yeah so that one so my, my favorite day to work was always the gay pride parade and the, um, and the Halloween parade. Sure. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, totally. So our firehouse for people that don't know where the, where the squad 18 is, it's like right in the root, you know, it's like, um, you know, so it's like the, you are fully in the middle of it for both of those events, the, the Halloween and the pride parade, you know? And, um, and it's so much fun. I mean, they're just, there's su such a good feeling in the air. Like, you know, it's just, it's so much fun to work. We, we never stop running from this moment we get there till, till we get, you know, get off, you know, the following day, but, um, okay. but it's a lot of fun, you know? So, um, so, uh, anyway, it was another Halloween. I was all geared up. I was psyched. I'm working Halloween. It was the afternoon and we get the run. So, so, you know, for people that don't remember what, what the story was, was this guy had, he was like a lone wolf terrorist, you know, like he was, I, I believe, I think he was like operating on his own, if I'm not mistaken. And, um, and he had gone and he had rented a, uh, um, a pickup truck from like a Home Depot or a Lowe's or something. And, um, and he, had, and he, what he wound up doing was he came and he just drove down the West side highway, veered up onto the bike path that runs alongside of it and just like rode for like, I, I'm not sure how far, pretty far though, like just like plowing over people on this bike path. And then he came out, um, somewhere down in like, you know, in lower Manhattan and, and he, and he rammed into a school bus full of kids. Thank, thankfully nobody got hurt on the school bus. And then, then he got out, you know, now his, his truck was disabled. He got out and, um, I'm not, I don't even know if he's still, if he got, I don't think he got killed. He got shot in the stomach or something like he, I'm not, I don't remember the, like the, the end result of, of it, but, but I know that, I know that he was captured anyway, whatever, right. obviously at that point. So, so the 911 calls that were coming in were because this truck had, driven into a school bus. Nobody, nobody had called about the bike path. Nobody knew about the bike path, you know? And, um, and so we were responding as a, as a SOC unit going to a, a, a severe, you know, like automobile accident. And, um, and as we're driving down the West side highway, um, we had, uh, 
Sheldon from Squad One was a detail that day. I remember him saying, he's like, man, there's a, there's a lot of people laid out on the bike path. Something, something to that effect. He said something like he was noticing that people were laid out. So we started looking. And as we, as we like lean over to look out the window, um, there was a cop you know, like that or some, somebody anyway, I didn't see cause I was in the back, you know, but the, somebody was out like waving, you know, like trying to flag us down. So Adrian, who was the boss, like she, um, she had, Brian, who was driving, you know, had Brian pull over. Um, we, we jumped out. We all grabbed like all, all the medical bags that we have on the rig. You know, we had, uh, at that point, we also had a um, mass casualty. Um, I think we had that at that point. Anyways, we just grabbed all of our medical bags that we had, um, ran over and right away we're, we're just, as soon as we got onto the bike path, there's three people laying there. You know, one's got like the, you know, like a big hole in their head, you know, like, and, you know, you know, stuff just leaking out, you know, obviously dead. Another one had like their, their leg broken so severely that the foot was pointed up toward their head, you know, and, um, you know, and it was just like, it was horrific, you know, and then, um, and so we started trying to work on them. I'm looking around like there's people there, there's people there, there's people, you know, we have, we have six people, we have five, five, because, you know, at, at that point, Brian's on the rig just trying to raise dispatch and trying to give information, you know, like trying to, trying to get more units sent to us, not, you know, not just where they were all going. We're watching fire, fire engines and, 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 um, and uh, ambulances zoom past us on the West side highway and trying to raise them on the radio, you know, and stuff like that. Eventually rescue one actually spotted us. And, and, and at, at a certain point it was us and rescue one, but, uh, but for, um, for what seemed like an infinite amount of time it was probably not that long, but it seemed like a, a incredible amount of time. It was just us, you know, and, um, and something like 20 people uh, laid out, you know, oh, wow. and, um, and so uh, Adrian, you know, she, she had run down, you know, like run north up the, the bike path, you know, and uh, she gets on the radio. She's like, Richie, I need a, I need a tourniquet, you know? So like, so I grab my bag. These, these guys are working on these people here. I, I grab my bag and I'm running toward Adrian. And it's like the old thing that we would learn in, um, you know, in like mass casualty incidents is the idea of triage. You have to kind of, it's, it's, it's a horrible thing to have to do, but you have to yeah. pick and choose, you know? So like, yeah. uh, you know, so like I see somebody sitting there just kind of like moaning and stuff like that, but seem like they're okay. They're, that person can wait, you know, or and I, I see someone, you know, that got thrown into the bushes, you know, I, like I, 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 like I remember one person literally had their head backwards, you know, cause like, uh, they got their neck broken so badly and, st- you know, and like, um, and I, um, and I, I ran up to Adrian and, and there was, uh, this guy who was conscious and he was laying there and he was just like ble- bleeding severely from his like upper leg. And, um, and so, uh, and his friend was with him. It wasn't injured. And it was just like, you know, it's com- com- completely distraught. These were, um, I forget what they were from. They were from South America somewhere. It was like a, it was like a high school reunion or something like that, but like a, a big group, like a big tourist group had come from like Argentina or so. I forget where they were from, but, um, but they, uh, but the guy was, uh, you know, he, he was, you know, he, at that point he was conscious, but he was, you know, not, not, um, Co- co- like coherent, you know, but he was, um, and I remember, um, you know, pulling out the tourniquet, ripping up his shirt and like, um, going to take his, you know, cut his pants off. And I see that he was, you know, thinking that he had like a big, uh, a wound on his leg and I was going to try to get the tourniquet as high as I could, you know, above the, I didn't get it above the wound. So I could, you know, again, to stop the bleeding or whatever, right. but he, but he was ripped from his, um, from his groin up, like all the way up across his belly and, you know, like, uh, nothing to tourniquet. I mean, he was just, yeah. So, you know, so I, what I did was I just, the only thing I could think to do, I just like stuffed it with as much, um, you know, trauma dressings as I could. Then I, and I, and then I just got, um, I got uh, oxygen on him right away, you know, and, um, right. 
you know, and he was kind of breathing on his own at that point, but he, he was, he was fading and then he, he wasn't really breathing on his own. So then I, I took that off and I started, um, you know, I was going to go put the, uh, bag valve mask, you know, that, that you squeeze, you know, like the bag valve mask onto him. And, um, and I remember trying to open his mouth, which I did to, to get an OPA in, in other words, to hold his tongue from blocking his, his, um, airway. And, uh, I remember like pushing his lip and it just like held my, it just like my, my fingerprint, you know, the, just like stayed indented in his lip because he had no profusion left. It, like he had bled so much, you know, and then, um, and then uh, Santos came around and came to help uh, Richie Miranda from uh, Rescue One. You know, he, he was there like uh, helping. And, uh, you know, and um, we're finally now um, the ambulances start arriving. So now we get the guy, um, we load him onto the ambulance with with uh, like two other victims and, the, and like three paramedics all stuffed on the back of this ambulance. And, um, and me and Santos get in the front and, uh, I, you know, I pulled up the GPS and Santos um, was driving and we got, we just like sped to the hospital, got to the hospital, um, uh, Beekman, you know, and, um, and then, um, uh, but, and, and, but when they opened the door, they said, you know, they, they had already declared him dead, mm. you know, and it, it hit me in the heart. It really, you know, I mean, you know, we, we've, we've, we're no strangers to losing, you know, victims, but for some reason, this was one of those that just like, it hit me like really hard, you know? But I, I guess just like the the overwhelming, uh, I guess, tragedy of and and like, I don't know, man, just like, like, what kind of sense does it make you know, just to, to cause that kind of, you know, death and damage for what, you know, to prove what point, you know, but, um, but, yeah. you know, it was a tough one. So now. After this incident, did the job send anybody by the firehouse to talk to you guys? Or? Uh, yes, they did. Uh, at this point, um, you know, you know, the counseling unit is 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 terrific on our job. And and before nine eleven, it was like a very small unit. And then nine nine eleven really created this wonderful um, support system in in our counseling unit. And uh, and I, you know, who. Um, you know, uh, a friend of both of ours, R Richie Portello, who's one of the greatest men I think that has ever been on the job, you know, um, uh, you know, retired as a chief, you know, as you, you, me and you both know, you know, but, um, but he, he, at this point was now retired. He had been put out, he had, he had tore his shoulder or something. And, uh, you know, after, after a long career, you know, a long, very, very storied career, you know, um, but anyway, he's, he's been working with the counseling unit. So he came by and, and talked and, and he's easy to talk to, you know, cause we're, you know, friends you know at this point right. and stuff and uh and and it was helpful i you know i i remember um i didn't take any time or anything i just kept you know but it but it definitely like my my it took a little while for my head to snap back to being right you know for sure <laughs> if that ever happens right yeah <laughs> now what about uh now i mentioned earlier you're retired right you moved yeah. out to colorado recently yeah. as we can see you're still decorating <laughs> yeah, um yeah. I found, <laughs> I found when I retired, you know, once once I stopped moving and just sat back and relaxed that all these things, all those incidents started creeping back in my mind. You know, like yeah. you said, you got to kick them to the side when you're on duty. Right. Yeah. Um, but sometimes you can't. Sometimes things like that happen that that eat away at you. Uh, do you find any of these things coming back on you now? Uh, how are you feeling? Um, I mean, it's hard to say I'm so distracted right now with. Um, you know, with this move and with try, you know, trying to get, you know, my kids started school already, you know, out, out here, they're very cruel. They put the kids in school in like the middle of August, you know, but, um, so, you know, but yeah, I mean, things do, you know, 
always, you know, there's always, it's always easy to, for it to like just flunk, you know, like stick itself back into my head, you know, whether, whatever it is, sometimes it's funny stuff and sometimes it's horrible stuff, you know, but, um, but, um, this time of year, I mean, it always gets weird. And like you, you had mentioned it earlier, you know, like about how, you know, and like every year from 9-11 on, it's always been this way. August is always a weird month because you don't yeah. really realize it's happening, but it's like, it's like, it's starting to like really like worm its way into your mind. And then all of a sudden it's in the September 11th and, and, you know, out of nowhere, like, you know, like I'll be sitting in the car and all of a sudden I'm crying, you know, and I'm like, what, what, where did that come mm-hmm. from? You know, but, uh, sure. Yeah. I've noticed that too. Uh, you know, cause I, you know, Kristen's father uh, yeah. was killed on 9-11. Um, and I've noticed the last few weeks that we're, you know, we're a little short with each other. Uh, and we both start slipping into, you know, depression and anger without realizing it. Next thing you know, we're, we're having an argument over nothing. Um, and then I sat back and, and looked at my calendar and was like, oh, yeah, you know, it's that time of year again. Uh, you know, and then we obviously talked about it. Um but I hope you're talking to people because I, I I'm a big advocate for mental health, uh, especially with physical conditions. You know, we we've linked uh, Dr. Moline at Mount Sinai has linked PTSD with the acceleration of the 9-11 illnesses, mm. as you probably know. Uh, but the great thing is, even out in Colorado, you can get you can still visit uh, World Trade Center doctors. Right. I mean, the program's everywhere. Um, so for the people listening out there. Uh, as Rich alluded to earlier, we had volunteers showing up at the World Trade Center for months, right? From all yeah. over the country, all 50 states. So if you're in any of those states, uh, you can go visit a doctor and at least get your yearly medical done. So that's the beauty of uh, of the program that we got set up. But as Rich said, sometimes there's things you can't kick to the side, right? So you got to talk about it. You, gotta, you can't let it uh, eat away at you because that's when your body starts eating away at itself. That's what I yeah. think. I don't know. Yeah, you know, when you're in when you're in the firehouse, you know, people people would ask, you know, like how do you deal with it and stuff like that. I said, well, you know, you're in the firehouse, and um, you know, it's like without even realizing that you're in therapy all the time because we're yeah. all sitting around together at the kitchen. You know, the kitchen is where all the world problems are solved, right? And like uh, all our personal problems and world problems, as as well as creating brand new ones all the time for each other. You know, when we break each other's shops, you know, but um. But, it, you know, you know, but it's something like you can always talk about the stuff there, you know, so, like, you know, and 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 joke, you know, there's a lot of gallows humor that comes with mm-hmm. the fire department, you know, yeah. um, you know, there's like the one, uh, you know, it's kind of it's kind of horrible and funny at the same time. But like, that, you know, I remember we had a run and a guy had jumped off uh, of, of a roof and landed in this courtyard and he uh, and he was like, it was like the most strange thing ever but the way he had landed it, it was like he was like half buried in the mulch and like um you know and it was like perfect it was like it was like it was done on purpose you know like right. uh, you know and um and uh, you know and uh we, you know anyway, anyway we deal with it the guy was clearly dead and um and we get back on the rig and i remember uh you know one of the guys who i guess i guess i won't say his name but one of the guys saying talk about taking a dirt nap <laughs> you know it's like, it's like that's just like the like the typical you know fire department gallows humor you know but, right but i always felt without the, those jokes it'd be tough to get through it right i mean that's it's got, dark got, humor and, and, and yeah. you don't you don't really understand it unless you're living through it yeah. you know but, you got to be able to make yourself laugh, you know, I mean, you just otherwise you'll go crazy, you know. Yeah. And that was one of my favorite things about working with you is uh, you seem to deal with these things the same way I do, you know, uh, with positivity and jokes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I always appreciated that. So speaking of positivity, I know you're a poet. <laughs> 
You're an amateur guitar player. <laughs> at, at best. At best. I was wondering if you had anything uh, you'd like to share with the people out there. Who um, might not know the nav. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I, I do I do play guitar and I love to write songs and I'm very, very uh I'm very like shy about it. And yet right. I, I make these little videos and like I, I put them out for the world to see, you know, the world right. on Facebook or whatever, you know. So that you know, then I'm just like, you know, screw it, you know, if they wanna if they wanna, you know, like point their finger and laugh, let them, you know. But uh but yeah, I mean I could try. I mean I I don't really have to my, my big problem is I'm very bad with memorization, but I, I can give it a shot. So if you you'll have to forgive me if I mess up some words, but I'll pull out. Because you, right. you gave me a little warning that you were going to ask me this. So I got my guitar. By <laughs> so I was thinking about it. What are, what are the closest songs that I have to being memorized? And I got like a, like a love song, you know, because I'm going to I'll do a little love song for you. This one's called uh, That's OK. And uh, I may have to do, uh, you know, we may have to say cut and do another take because I'm sure I'm going to tell Well, I ain't got a lot, but I got my girl and the children that she gave me. They are my world. If I get nothing else, that's okay. There couldn't be anything better than today. Well, we both go to work and come home again. Every time that I see her, I hold her hand. Maybe we got debt. That's okay. There couldn't be anything better than today. Well, we haven't stopped loving since the day we went. Standing nervous in the courthouse, then running home to bed. If we ever get old, that's okay. There couldn't be anything better than today. But I got my girl and the children that she gave me. They are my world. If I get nothing else, that's okay. There couldn't be anything better than today. There couldn't be anything better than today. There you go. Well, that was great, buddy. I can't think of a better note to end uh, my very first episode on. Thanks a lot, man. Well, I hope you will join me again and tell some more of your stories. I would love to. uh, And share your positivity mission with the world. Uh, You can find Rich's songs on YouTube, right? What's your YouTube channel? Either my name, Richard Navieski, or uh, or the one nav, like T-H-E, one, the number, you know, N-A-V. One's all we need. So, um, so the, yeah, so the, uh, so that's a, the one, but the one, not the word, the number N A V. All right. And, and that should find it. And also 
if you want to look at my little pictures that I put in my uh, my kids' lunches all the time, uh, go to Instagram and look up uh, lunch bag treasures. Yeah, all yeah. Uh, you got yeah, one for us? Yeah, I got. I got. This was, was yesterday's, but it just happens to be one of my favorites. Let me see if all I can right. pop up on the screen here. The riddle of the stinks. What smells? And we got a, a little sphinx-looking character there. Oh, he looks like he's tooting. I mean, tell me that's not <laughs> hilarious. Come on. That that is uh, that's very nav. <laughs> so anyway, man, thank you for being my first guest. My pleasure. Thank you for your service to our city and our country. Thank you. I know you it probably makes you uncomfortable, but you are a hero, and no. you earned. Thank Every you. minute of your retirement, I hope you're enjoying it with that. Being I, I am. Thank you. And and Rob, you know, you know, I feel the exact same way about you. What you what you've done has been absolutely tremendous. You've done more than so 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 many people to, uh, you know, to to get um, you know, bills passed and everything else. You know, the time that you spent on the job and the time that you spent after it have been tremendous. You know. All right, man. Well, thanks, bro. And hopefully, uh, you get through 9/11 this year unscathed, and uh, we'll share a beer together soon. Sounds great. I look forward. All right, brother. Be well. You too. Hey, everyone. It's Frankie, and today we're making Nanny's tomato basil pasta. Here are the ingredients. Five Roma tomatoes diced, one cup fresh basil chopped, four cloves garlic chopped or minced, one pound of your favorite pasta, half a cup of extra virgin olive oil, more as needed, salt and pepper, and basil leaves for garnish. Today my nanny is making a very delicious summer dish. The tomatoes and basil are already washed and are dried up, and the garlic is ready to chop. Right now she's chopping the tomatoes. Now that the tomatoes are chopped in small pieces, my nan is going to pour them into the bowl and start with the basil. Before she starts doing the basil, she has to wipe all the tomato juice off the cutting board so it's nice and clean. Now she's going to start ripping off the basil and she's going to cut them up. Now that we're done with the basil, we're going to put the rest of it to the side for later and start chopping up the garlic. You could either cut up the garlic by hand or you could put it into the garlic press. About three or four closes should do it. Now that we're done with the garlic, we're going to put in half a cup of olive oil and salt and pepper to taste. Now we're 
going to pour the tomato mixture into the pasta. And mixing it up. Now we pour it into the bowl. Now we're going to sprinkle some cheese. Now we're going to garnish with the leftover basil leaves. Okay, dig in. Thank you all for tuning in. Thanks to my family. Thanks for all your support. I love you. Couldn't do any of this without you. Of course, thanks to Rich Navioski. Thanks for sharing your stories and your positivity. You're a hero, man. Thanks to people over at Righteous Media. I've really been looking forward to checking this one off my bucket list. Be sure to give us five stars and subscribe now and fire up every episode. And check out firefighters.us for more great content, video, and some awesome Firefighters podcast merch. We've got hats and t-shirts and a lot more coming soon. I'll be dropping more episodes every week, and I'll talk to other firefighters sharing their stories that rarely get told. The real men and women that save lives and make a difference. I learned one thing when my health issues forced me to retire and forced me to speak up. It's that my hands may shake, but my voice surely doesn't. Stay low, my friends. Righteous Media.